How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Batflip Podcast. I am your new co-host, David, joined by Damien. Damien, tonight we're going to talk about Albert Pujols, Luis Castillo, uh, the closing division races, among other things. But uh, before we get started, how are you doing tonight? And I am doing pretty well. Um, you know, just excited with the way the season has uh, has unfolded. We got some good storylines here uh, with the the big milestone with Albert. We got a you know a couple other interesting things that I didn't see coming this way over the past week, and just excited with uh, the postseason bearing down with uh, just a week week before it uh, you know starts hitting the road. But how are you doing? Doing all right. You know, I'm sad because I don't get to watch my team in the postseason. Um, but other than that, I'm good. I'm ready to talk about baseball um, because the rest of the, the league is certainly off and running and we can step right in and, and talk about, you know, a guy who's played for the Dodgers in the last year in Albert Pujols. And I mean, this guy got to 700 home runs. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago and, and it's, you know, kind of the march towards this, but he finally got there against your Dodgers. Um, the other night hitting two in the same game, uh, you know, I would say this is maybe a last in a lifetime type of deal. I don't know if we're ever going to see 700 home runs again. Yeah. I mean, Matt and I, a couple weeks ago, we brought up, you know, the names of people who could very well, you know, potentially get to 700 home runs, but you're talking about guys who were at 350 home runs right now. Like, there it's a long long way away if ever uh and this is such a it's such a historic milestone i mean four people he's the fourth person ever to hit 700 home runs in the game of baseball like it is incredible what we've been able to see in this lifetime and to know that we'll be able to say we saw albert pujos you know one of the greatest players ever uh you know hit 700 home runs and we were i think we were on a call friday night when we were talking about it and I told you exactly it was going to happen in LA when he got there. Andrew Heaney destroys lefties. Heaney likes throwing high fastballs. That's what Pujols has been crushing as of late. He got one right over the middle, missed the spot, crushed it. I think it was 440 or something like that. And then, you know, the, the second home run he hit was actually impressive. It was a slider that was inside, caught. I mean, it was a perfect painted pitch on the inside of the part of the plate. I mean, it backed up, but really good location and he was able to turn on it as well um and, and you know just a lot of i think the, if there wasn't a place like st louis that it wasn't going to happen a place like la where he really wasn't rejuvenated last year and the, the whole fan base really got a love for albert pujols last year and if he wasn't going to do it in st louis i feel like la was a perfect place for him to do it I mean, the entire place erupted. I mean, everyone, it, w- it felt like it was a home game for the Cardinals there when he hit that homer. Yeah, and I think the game was over at that point, too. You know, there's a big score. So it, was, it worked out as like kind of a perfect storm to get that ideal reaction from everybody. Where everyone was more invested in Pujols than the game. Um, and, and, you know, he's such a complete hitter. You know, you look at the some of the breakdowns that came out once he hit the 700. I think he went 500 homers off righties, 200 off lefties or something like that. You know, just so balanced as a hitter in terms of how well he was able to perform. And, um, you know, you look back into the some of those early Cardinals days, you know, when he was, you know, absolutely murdering my Cubs. He was just so consistently good against everybody in the league. 
you know, I think back to that Brad Lidge home run uh, he hit in the 2005 playoffs, I think, that just absolutely he hit the ball to the moon to tie the game in the playoffs. Like he's been big on the big moments for his whole career. You know, he's won a, world, a couple of World Series with the Cardinals, um, came up clutch in that 2011 World Series, too. It, he's the kind of guy who's had a, a big impact on baseball, especially, you know, kind of leading from that steroid era to today's game. You know, one of the, I guess, probably the last um, players to, to have a, an impact in both of those are like Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols. Yeah, I mean, they really are. They're sort of the last of that dying breed of that era. I mean, we talk so much about how these, these historic performances like Pujols has got to, and with the 3000 hits that Miggy's got to 700 homers for Pujols, like we legitimately have questions about when will be the next person we see do either one of those. And it could be, we don't see one for the next 10 years. I mean, that that's a realistic option. I mean, you're looking eight to 10 years down the future when you might have the opportunity to see that. And it's, it's just been, it's been really cool this year as a fan. I feel like there's been a lot of history and you see that it's, it's kind of the next guard is really taking place. Um, but you're seeing those guys who have been, you know, the focal points of the league for the past 10 to 15 years, get those milestones. And it really makes you feel good just as a, a baseball fan and as somebody who enjoys the history of the game. As somebody who has had to cheer against Pujols his pretty much his entire career up until he signed in Los Angeles. I mean, you know, I'm not a, I'm not someone who's going to go, oh, yay, you know, Albert Pujols was the guy who hit 700 home runs. But I'm the guy who says, damn, somebody hit 700 home runs? That had not happened since Hank Aaron, you know, or I guess since Barry Bonds. But, you know, at, at least in terms of non-PEDs, you know, it hadn't happened since Hank Aaron. So um, just a, a milestone for baseball is what it is. And as a baseball fan, I can absolutely appreciate that. And, um you know, Pujols had his impact on on my baseball fandom, even if it was stealing the 2005 MVP from Derek Lee. But you know, we <laughs> we, yeah. we we move on, I guess. And he has the the part of my fandom since becoming a Dodgers legend last year, um, right. and being able to meet him this off season. Um, and I think that's probably a, a good way to end it off. Is just. The, the type of guy he is, he's a really down-to-earth and really good guy. You don't hear a bad word about him anywhere around the league. For a guy like that to be able to hit the, the historic milestone and to be as good of a player as he is or, or has been throughout his entire career, I think that's a testament as well. And just think about the guys that baseball's lost over the last couple of years, though. I mean, Ichiro, you know, we're, Miguel Cabrera's winding down. Joey Votto's winding down. Um, Adrian Beltre just retired, you know, a lot of those names that have been in people's mind when you think about baseball are starting to go away. And, um, I think this is kind of their, their big swan song. David Ortiz is another one that comes to mind. Just, you know, Alex Rodriguez, a lot of those famous baseball players that kind of ended up being celebrities. Hank Pujols was absolutely one of those guys and you know, they're starting to go away. It's starting to be this new group and. Um, you know, I don't know when we're going to have someone as slam dunk first ballot Hall of Fame as Pujols um, coming up on on the Hall of Fame ballot. I think he'll probably get 100% of the votes. He should. I mean, he should get 100% of the votes. One St. Louis writer is probably not going to give it to him because he's pissed off that he left for the first time or something baloney right. like that. But uh, he absolutely deserves it. 
but we'll we'll transition over to the next point and, and you know i guess transitioning from one dodgers legend to i guess another in a way i mean it's a real stretch there but we got the news this week that don mattingly uh is going to resign as manager of the marlins at the end of the season uh, they claimed it was a mutual agreement between them mattingly feels the marlins need a new voice i'm sure the marlins probably feel that same way um you know he's He's a pretty good manager, but I just don't think that he was ever given the opportunity with the Marlins, with the talent there, to take them to a, a deep postseason run or anything. I'm going to look it up real quick. I don't want to misspeak here. But I believe if I can get his – since 2015, yeah. So Don Mattingly has been with the Marlins since – before they traded away Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, JT Real Muto, before they lost Jose Fernandez. Um, I just, I, I look at the way that has gone where he came into an organization on the upswing and then tragedy struck, other, you know, selling the team, moving stadiums, all kinds of things were going out of his control, leading them into a rebuild that he had no part of. They kept him around, and now the, you know the talent is there on this major league team. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's taking those necessary steps. Right, the offensive players have just not developed, and I don't know if that's a Marlins Park problem or a coaching problem. But you know, you're looking at they, they've called up so many young guys, and and they they bring in guys that don't have success. I mean, Jose Aguilar was good for a little bit, but or Jesus Aguilar was good for a little bit. He got DFA'd. Jorge Soler struggled. Avisel Garcia struggled. You know, Miguel Rojas is up and down. I just, they don't have a path forward because they just don't have any consistency in their coaching and in their ability to develop these position players that can match their pitching, which they're pitching right now is very strong. And, you know, with all these years of, of losing in the past couple of years, they've had a lot of talent influx, from the top of the draft and from the, you know, free agency and stuff. They just, they can't ever put it together. It's a good change, but I just don't feel like it's Mattingly's fault. No, it's, it's not Mattingly's fault. Um, you know, I think he's a very, a very good manager in the league. Um, he, he has that old school feel, but he, he's not afraid to go with the analytics at times, but it's, it's the Marlins just once they went to that sell off it, I mean, they really just sold the farm that way and they tried to rebuild it and they've been been trying to push that the last couple of years, you know, with the Aguilar move, with the, you know, bringing in Avisel Garcia and Jorge Soler, even though I didn't love either one of those signings for them, really. I just didn't feel like they fit what they really needed. Um, they've made a couple moves the last couple of years, but it's it's been a team that has had controversy and it's been in the middle of drama a lot recently with the the old ownership and then the, the sell and then the Jeter leaving because he doesn't believe in what they're doing. And then Kim Ng coming over and, and now taking it all over herself. It's, it's been a weird flux there. And I wonder if it's not a Kim Ng saying like, I'm just kind of ready for my own flair on this team, my own leadership and get rid of the whole coaching staff. I mean, we've seen the turnover the recent years, but it just feels like this is the, that, big reset button between the old ownership and now the new ownership really wanting to make their point felt now. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. You know, I, I think Kim Ming can, can really lead this team 
well in the the grand scheme of things. You think of Miami as a small market team, but Miami itself is not a small market. There's no reason for this team to be drawing, you know, bottom five attendance figures. Um, but the location of the stadium is not that great. You know, the stadium itself isn't uh, much of a destination. I think there's been problems in like the concrete of laying a foundation of this of this team where you don't really have the support of the city because you've you know you put you put the onus on the taxpayers to get the stadium the stadium's not that good and and then it's you know and then on top of that you've got all these ownership switches and you've got Jeter in and out and all this turmoil and you've you've traded all your stars it's going to take a lot to get the city of Miami back in behind the Marlins and I just you know I I know it's it's one of those things where all these things are being seen by them firing Mattingly. Mattingly wasn't doing anything wrong. He he wasn't the difference, and I don't think you know a manager is going to make that kind of difference. But you know when you take a look at the Marlins, I mean they should have been a better team this year. They have a pitching staff. They could have won in the playoffs. You know they, it wasn't too long ago they were they were beating the Cubs out of the playoffs. Uh, in 2020, it, you know, they're, they're not a bad organization. The problem is, you know, they have not been able to develop any of that talent that they've acquired. And then they've completely missed on those trades back when they actually did the sell off, uh, which has prompted that Kim Ng hiring. And, you know, I, I think if, if she were in, in charge back when they were selling off Christian Yelich, those trades would look a lot different because, you know, while Christian Yelich wasn't an MVP caliber player, when he was traded from the Marlins, he was a lot better than the return they got for him. So, you know, I, 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 you look at those trades, you know, Stanton went for nothing and just to get us, get rid of the contract and stuff, you know, this is just an organization that was, was rotten to the core for a long time. And, you know, I don't think Mattingly was rotten, but he, he's just going to, he's getting the blame, additional blame where he maybe doesn't need it. Yeah. I, I, I do think that he will be a managerial candidate, even in this off season for some teams. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. He might take a year away, but you will see him managing a team again here in the future. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, even one of the more high-profile jobs out there, if it is a, a an Angels job or if Ooh. it's maybe even a Phillies job. Like White Sox? He, it, it may be, I mean, maybe even a White Sox. But he feels like a, like a Dave Dabrowski guy or an Art oh, Moreno yeah. guy. Like, you know, I feel like that might be the way they go i mean get him a team with some some talent on it i mean the white Sox are, are a good thing jerry reinsdorf might do that too um but i just he he's gonna be a good manager he just needs the team around him i mean we saw him have success with the dodgers when he was managing there they never got over the hump but they were always consistently good with him you know he didn't and, and he got probably a little bit more out of those teams than some other people might i wonder if you know if that shouldn't be the reason for some of these teams to not hire Don Mattingly, because Mattingly's not the kind of guy that can put you over the hump. He's the kind of manager that you bring on when you've, you've already, you're already where you want to be. You just need someone who can step in and lead you. You know, maybe the Phillies are a team that could do that, but you know, I don't know. You know, they've played very well since Girardi was gone. So I just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the the plan of any of those teams is going to be, but um, yeah. you know, maybe we could talk about uh, 
the La Russa thing now because we're talking about managers. Yeah. I don't know. That makes some sense we, to me. We could throw it in there. So Tony um, La Russa was um, – Sorry, I'm stealing no, it from you. You're good. <laughs> Tony Larusa was uh, told. I think it just came out today that he's not returning for 2023, and in fact, he's been, you know, he's going to stay away from the team for the rest of this season due to the medical condition. And uh, Dan Bernstein of Chicago Sports Media said today that they're not going to be returning for 2023. So, you know, Tony Larusa out in the White Sox, and I, I don't think there's anything that could describe it, his tenure there, other than a complete failure. Yeah, I mean, even when Tony LaRusso was hired, we all scratched our heads and said, this isn't going to work. And then when he had problems with the team early on, you know, benching Yerman Mercedes when he was when he was going absolutely off because he swung at a 3-0 pitch. And then, you know, getting into it with Tim Anderson, telling him to not show emotion and to, to run the bases, you know, and just some of the other stuff he's we've seen from him there, we just knew it wasn't going to work. I mean, he was out of the game for a long time, and it, he has a hard time connecting to the younger players. We always saw that was going to be a thing. You know, the health issues this year, you never want to see that stuff creep up and, and into into anybody's job and, and force them out of somewhere. We've seen it a little bit with Tito Francona as of late as well. Um you know, so it's it's not the way that I would have wanted Larusa to to end off there. Like, it sucks that it has to be a health thing, but there was already some rumors that he wasn't going to come back anyways. Um, you know, and we'll see if, when it's officially announced that he's not going to come back. I, I know this, we're kind of reportedly saying it, but it always felt like this was going to be the outcome anyways. Even if he had stayed healthy through the rest of the season, the team's underperformed the last two years. And they've been really bad this year. And they've really underperformed this year. I mean, this is a team that people were talking about as a potential World Series contender, you know, coming into this season. A team that had all the talent in the world and could match up with anybody and in a division that they should have probably easily walked away with. And they are not even going to make the playoffs now because we, we mentioned the, you know, they were in that battle with the, the Guardians over the weekend and the Guardians like swept them and, and won the division and took the White yep. Sox out of it. So it, it's something we saw coming. We knew it wasn't going to work from the get go. It was just a matter of when's it going to want to happen and not if, you know, it was going to happen. Yeah. And, and I think part of the big problem with this was that you look at the way the White Sox roster was constructed and it's a very manager, like a manager can have a big impact on a roster like this. Um, it is very, very poor on ter- in terms of defense. And you would want someone with a clear mind and a, you know, uh, a sharp intellect in order to be able to, and I'm not saying LaRusso is like dumb or anything, but I'm just saying like a new analytical mind where you're, you're expecting somebody to be making aggressive and making those defensive changes. You know, you've got, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers. You've got, I think four DHs that hit full time this year in Gavin sheets, Andrew Vaughn, pretty much AJ Pollock. He was bad on defense and then Eloy Jimenez. So you had to figure out a defensive alignment that was going to be able to get outs and prevent, you know, extra base hits into the gaps uh, from a, uh, a group of pitchers that was fly ball reliant, Giolito, Cease, 
Lance Lynn, those guys give up fly balls. You know, they strike out a lot of guys and then they give up fly balls. You have to be good, you know, on the outfield defensive side. And then you've got these guys here who are not good defensive outfielders. I'm I'm looking at Andrew Vaughn's defensive rating. Vaughn had a 120 WRC plus this year and was worth zero wins above replacement. He he was a replacement level player, even though he was 20% above league average out with the bat because he was so bad defensively. And I just know that a more analytically inclined manager would have been a lot better at aligning Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, Eloy Jimenez, AJ Pollock into a you know reliable, more reliable defensive formation. You know whether it be by shifting or or something to that effect. You know the White Sox were not made to have a guy like Tony Lagrusa managing them. Not only was it poor defensively, but also it was poor with. The personalities on this team. Think about Tim Anderson. Think about Luis Robert. You have, you have these guys who are just fiery personalities, but they're being suppressed by a guy like Tony Larusa. It was just such a a disappointing hire back when it was was first implanted, and you know now it's it's coming to a conclusion that isn't even satisfactory. Where Larusa isn't getting canned, right? He's on a medical leave, and and that's no good either. So this is just an all around disaster for the White Sox and. You know, I expect big changes to this organization in the offseason because they have a horrendous farm system. Jose Abreu is going to be a free agent. Um, you know, there's there's going to be some some big swings, I think, with with what they do um, as a front office and as an organization because they can't do this again. Yeah, they can't. But it's it's really going to come down to is Jerry Reinsdorf willing to make the moves that he needs to do because he hasn't really been willing to do that the past couple times that they've come into this situation um you know they came into it with hey we we kind of knew they were going to need a younger analytical mind there and then he went and hired his friend in tony la Russa. Right. and it's like you you got to be willing to make the right moves and, and make the move that you might not be as comfortable with and that's not something that reinsdorf has really ever been willing to do in anything that he's had his hand in um even back in mm-hmm. with the bulls and stuff so it's they're gonna be they're gonna be a fascinating team because they have a lot of talent and they can be absolutely be aggressive and go out there and make some bigger moves um, on the free agency side and try and bring some people in that way and I mean they could be really interesting but they're gonna have to be willing to commit to that. I think you could also see some guys be available, be yeah. made available that would be, uh, you know, on another team would be kind of touch untouchable. You know, I, I think Yohan Moncada might be one of those guys, you know, and he may be, you know, one of those untouchable guys they want to try to rebound, but he's off of a absolutely dreadful season this year. And, um, you know, he is not hitting for power and playing a, a, a position where you need to hit for power in third base. You know, I wonder if, you know, some team might pay them a lot of prospects to, to pick up a Yohan Moncada where they could then turn around and, and make a free agent splash and, and pick that position back up. But, you know, it, one of one of Sheets or Vaughn too could be available. I could absolutely see Vaughn being available, and, and Moncada just seems like he needs a fresh start somewhere. Like, yeah, it's something that I always I always find interesting and try and look for when you know we see these big names get traded and we see the big prospect name come back because a lot of times that prospect is not going to live up to the expectations of what you're expecting when you traded for them, right? Like it's absolutely unfair for you on Moncada, who was one of the best prospects in baseball at the time, but for White Sox fans, he got traded for Chris sale. 
and like well before you keep going you know Yohan Makata has like two four plus win seasons right like oh, he's absolutely. been very very good for them and absolutely. and this year he was one of the reasons that this team did not perform absolutely so, I mean he has yeah. been really good for them but I feel like it's still it, it might be a place for him to do a fresh start like yeah. it's really hard for those players to live up to to the expectations there even though he's been really good I look at his swing and I see like a a one of those pretty like Ken Griffey Jr. style swings. If you guys want to go watch some Johan Moncada footage here, his swing is amazing, man. It is, it is a thing of beauty. And then he hits 12 home runs this year. And I'm just, I don't understand how he doesn't generate a ton more power. I think with a, a different coaching group, maybe he could potentially be a 30 homer guy. You know, I think you'll see the Dodgers, the Rays, you know, those, those analytically inclined teams, they'll be in on him if he actually moves. Um, the White Sox may be going, you know, thinking the same thing that we are right here and going, well, we're not trading Yohan Moncada. What if he fixes himself? You know, so at, at the end of the day, I think it's unlikely, but he's he's the most interesting name. I think that they would consider moving. Yeah, it's going to be something to watch for because this team can make some uh, some big moves for sure. But let's talk about a team that made a big move at the deadline and went ahead and made a big move right for the uh, their push for the postseason to lock somebody up. But that's the Seattle Mariners. Uh, we talked about how they made the big move and traded for Luis Castillo at the deadline uh, with a year and a half of control. They went ahead and signed him to a five-year, $108 million extension, has a vesting option that can make it a six-year, $133 dollar or $133 million uh, deal. And there's also another uh, additional thing in there. If he has to have a UCL surgery and his right elbow between 2025 and 2027, the Mariners will receive a $5 million option for a 2028 season, just protecting themselves a little bit. I This is a steal, right? I mean, he's making less than Robbie Ray, making less than Ke- uh, Kevin Gossman, and he's a year younger. This is a steal. It's a heist for the Mariners. How did they get him to agree to this? <laughs> I, this awesome. I, yeah, I don't know. I love this deal from both sides. Oh I, gosh, I really yeah. do. I, I love this deal from both sides because if you're the Mariners now, look at that top four in the rotation for the next four years and tell me what it looks like. I mean, I'm ready, it, man. I'm ready for a Mariners dynasty. It's Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby. I mean, right there, boom, boom. That's that's your four for the next four years at least. Hmm. And we're talking about all of those guys have number one to number two upside. Like we've seen Robbie Ray last year was lights out. He's been really good this year. Logan Gilbert, the the first half of the season has was lights out. He you know he struggled a little bit as of late the, in the second half, but he showed ace upside. Luis Castillo is a sneaky ace. He's really really good i don't think he gets enough credit for for what he's been able to do in in cincinnati for his whole career and in, in that band box there and then you got george kirby who is one of the best command pitchers already as a rookie this year and has been has been downright filthy for them and you're talking about that's your first four in that rotation moving forward where you know a lot of those teams in that division have question marks and now you have those four in your rotation locked up you have J.P. Crawford locked up. You just locked up uh, Julio Rodriguez. That team is that team is going to be around, and I'm ready for it. I think the I think the Mariners have been following the Braves' blueprint of lock up your good players, give them the money, because 
now we're looking at it. $108 million doesn't look like that much money for, I think Luis Castillo would have made easily more on the open market, but he, uh, but he's, you know, making 108 million now. The, the Mariners have locked him up. They locked up Robbie Ray. They, you look at, they're just picking up and, and laying down these, these young players. They're, they're setting themselves up to have a competitive team for the next five, six seasons. It's just, it's just perfect, I think. And and for a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2001, I, you know, this is the kind of thing that can lead you into a maybe a little. I, I said dynasty at the beginning, but I think more of a, a competitive run where they could make a World Series run here. They could still think about making some splashes in, in free agency. I don't think any of these moves have really, you know, prohibited them from doing that because this is a really affordable deal. They could they essentially can can splash anywhere but the rotation at this point because they've. I think built a fairly affordable long-term sufficient rotation rotation. Yeah. And it's Jerry DePoto. I mean, Jerry DePoto is going to be aggressive. I mean, we've seen that everywhere he goes and in any move he makes, right? This Mm -hmm. team is set up. the The reason he's able to do this, this team is set up with young stars that are cheap or, or just cheap stars in general, right? Like, you have Ty France, who's not making a ton of money, and you got him under control for a long while there. You got J.P. Crawford, you just signed. He's not on a big deal. He's not a star, but he's really good, right? You have um, you have Julio Rodriguez locked up. You have Jared yep. Kelenic, if he's ev- ever able to fulfill the potential there. You have Mitch Hanniger still there, who's not a ton of money, but he's a good glue guy for you, and he can hit you 30 homers. I he's, mean, a, he's a free agent after this year. Oh, is he? Well, I, I would yeah. assume he would. They might think, they might bring him back. Yeah. Um, but you just you have a guy who's always aggressive there, and and is willing to make whatever moves. I mean, we heard him any any big name free agent that was out there. I mean, we heard him in the Chris Bryant talks this last year. We heard him in on the Trevor Story talks this last year. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to go in on the the shortstop market again this year. You know, I know mm-hmm. they signed Crawford, but you could slide him over to second. They could easily be in on the the xander bogarts the carlos correa the dansby swanson if he gets there the trey turner i mean this team can very well good i was gonna say nolan arenado too they they they, their hole might even be bigger at third base i i don't think arenado opts out i don't I don't think Dude, he gets he's that. Getting I don't... More, he's getting more. That's another conversation. But yeah. I, I'm considering him a free agent. I, I just think he's getting more than five years, 130 million or something like that. He, he'd get more than that if he opts right now. I think it's like 142, I think. I, I don't know if he's getting more than I five think he's getting 200 million right now over like six years easily. We'll see. But, but this, it's another this, conversation. Yeah, this team is set up. This team is very well set up to make aggressive moves this year. And if there's ever a person to do it, it's going to be Jerry DePoto. This mm-hmm. team is set up for success. I liked them last year. I loved them coming into this year. And I I could just imagine what he's going to do this offseason, the big move he's going to make. And it's going to come yeah. out of nowhere. It's going to be somebody that we aren't even thinking about is available right now. And, and he's going to make 18 trades to make that one trade happen. And it's just what he does. Yeah, the thing about the Mariners is that even if you think they might not have enough prospects or they might not have the capital, it'll be made. There will be deals made. The, ch- the team will change. I think Kellenic could be one of those guys that uh, gets moved for another big piece 
also, you know, he he's the kind of guy who still got that prospect pedigree who could easily be the centerpiece of a of a trade. I mean, maybe he doesn't like playing in Seattle. Who knows? It's really far away. But, um, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where Seattle, even while after trading Noel V. Marte, after giving up some of their best prospects for Luis Castillo, they've anchored Luis Castillo into their rotation to make that prospect loss not feel as great. And they've still got a really good farm system. Yeah, I mean, this is a team only a couple years removed from picking right at the bottom of the league. So, um, you know, they they're always drafting well anyway, on top of being, you know, one of the top teams that drafts in the last couple of years. Yeah, they they have a ton of prospect depth still. I mean, you're talking about Matt Brash is still there. Emerson Hancock's still there. Harry Ford mm-hmm. and some others, I mean, on top of Kellenic and some others right. there. Um, they're very well still set up uh, to make that move. But uh, let's go ahead and transition over to the next thing, and that's with the Tampa Bay Rays getting a big addition back to their team this year at right in time for that postseason push as Tyler Glass now, who uh, had to undergo Tommy John surgery last year, they weren't quite sure was going to make it back uh, for, for this year. He's ready to return. Uh, he's made some minor league rehab starts. Sounds like to start with, uh, he's going to be limited to about three innings, 45 to 50 pitches, uh, but they are hoping that he could be a five Indian guy as, as they head to the, uh, to the postseason. That's, that's huge for the Rays postseason chances. Glass now also might be pitching himself toward a trade. You know, we've, we've seen his name in some of these trade rumors um, with the Rays because they, they're so good at developing pitching, but you know, we also, they also lost Shane Boz for, for I think the whole year next year. Um, so, you know, the Rays may be interested in bringing him back uh, and, and they want to see what Glasnow can do. But this reminds me, not not identically, obviously, but when Kyle Schwarber came back, I think this is a very quick timeline for that Tommy John surgery. Is it at a year? Like right at a year. And we, we've seen recovery times in the 18-year range for, for a Tommy John, especially for a guy who throws as hard as Glasnow does. So, you know, this is a a huge boost to the Rays, and and I think they're just going to bring glass now like a little a bullpen weapon three innings you know we saw the the Braves win the World Series last year just utilizing these three inning you know performances by guys glass now getting into that because of necessity rather than um, the Rays requiring it is just it's going to be huge for their chances because you know, you won't have somebody mad that he's only going three innings because Glass now knows he's a little more limited by his injury. You know, this is the kind of thing that can can really boost the team <laughs> because he's he's out here firing 100 mile an hour with that hammer curveball that is absolutely devastating from you know the six foot eight frame. I mean, Tyler Glass now is you know maybe the favorite for the Cy AL Cy Young a couple years ago, and and here he is coming back right in time for the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know if you've watched any of his minor league rehab stuff he's been doing. He's looked electric. Like, he's yeah. looked like like Tyler Glass now and not holding anything back. Um, you know, but what it does for the Rays, what team has been the one team that is able to make a deep postseason run, even into the World Series, using the opener-type strategy? Yeah, it's the Rays. It's, it's been the Rays. There is absolutely a case where Tyler Glass now is an opener for them that goes three innings, one time through the lineup, and then they mix and match better than or, or just as good as anyone else in the league. And, and if he's on that three innings and he's got a low pitch count, 
then maybe you throw him back out there for a fourth. Like, if there's a team that can handle a pitcher going through this and do it well and make it the the best case scenario for them, it's the Rays. They're the one team that can do that because they've they have to do something like this and they do it all year long. Like mm-hmm. they they are not afraid to do this in July rather than just the postseason where many teams just wait until the postseason and try and figure it out. Like it, it's a big addition for them because they've had some guys, you know go out with injury with with um with Baz going out McClanahan's even been dealing with his own things as of late you know Patino hasn't lived up to what you've what you've wanted him to be you've got some good performances out of like Drew Resmussen um but you to get a guy like Glassnell that's a game changer that's that's a big lift for a clubhouse they now feel they have a dude back they have a guy that that can go out there and be absolutely dominant for them and what that can do for a team like the Rays, who are so good fundamentally, so good at the little things, so good defensively, to add a guy like that back to your team and give you that boost could be really a, a really big get for them. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Corey Kluber as, as yeah. one of those Rays pitchers, though, too. He's been uh, he's taken the, the, the choice of, of other, you know, good starting pitchers uh, that have gotten older and had to shift what they're doing uh and they've decided just that walking people is for suckers and they shouldn't do it anymore um cory kluber's got like a 1.10 walks per nine or something he's just he's not walking people he's just like nah not doing it anymore throwing strikes hit it if you want and he's been a perfectly effective start you know normal starter for the Rays, which has been kind of funny that he's more of a contact guy these days he's not the cy young strike him out you know, ace Corey Kluber, but he's a he's a reliable strike thrower who's going to go deep into the game. He might give up a few runs, but he, that's okay because he's just going to get roll a double play on the next out. And then this Rays offense, which has been really good this year, even without Brandon Lau, Ronder Franco, really making a big impact. He's he's been able to keep them in the game, and they've been able to do a lot of damage with guys like Yandy Diaz and Randy Rosarena. So you know the Rays are going to be an interesting team because they're always an interesting team when it comes to the playoffs because they do things so much differently. They have so many guys with electric stuff in the bullpen. Like Pete Fairbanks is back throwing ninety nine. He's got like a one point two three ERA. I you know it's going to be there's going to be some names made I think by this Rays team in the bull in the playoffs and I think it might be like Tyler Glass now Pete Fairbanks Drew Rasmussen like those guys are going to be stepping up and the Rays are going to be tough to beat it's going to be um it's going to be interesting it will be and, and mentioning the Kluber thing I mean that just goes back to what I was just talking about how the Rays are so good mm-hmm. fen- fundamentally he doesn't need to walk people when they have a defense like the Rays play right, right. behind him. Like it, it goes back to it. And another thing we should mention is that Brandon Lau is out for the year. Uh, yep. they, they, they're going to have missed, you know, be missing him as well, which is another, a big loss for that team. Cause that's a, a power hitting second baseman that plays really good defense. Um, but you know, getting glass now back is maybe helps circumvent that a little bit by a guy who can just strike everybody out. But, you know, before we, uh, before we head over to players of the week, uh, just wanted to highlight the closed races. I mean, I know we, we talked about them a lot last week, uh, but we have one week left in the season. I mean, as we record next week, I think there will be a day left uh, in there. But, you know, just looking at what we got so far, the battle for the National League East, I mean, it's a game separating the Mets and the Braves. Um, and then I think the other race really is the NL wild card, 
where you have the Phillies and the Brewers are separated by a game and a half right now. And the, the Padres are a game and a half up on the Phillies and are starting a three game set with the Dodgers right now. Yeah, the the NL wild card, I think, is going to be the close one um, that other than the Braves Mets, you know, the, whoever wins that division is going to, I think, have a big advantage over the one who doesn't. But right now it's the Mets by a game, but the Braves and the Mets are, you know, going back and forth to trade and blows, trying to win all the games. It's, it's reminding me of the 2015 NL Central. Uh, when you had like three teams at 97 wins or something like that, you know, you got these two teams kind of slugging it out. Um, but I think the one that's more, most intriguing is the Brewers uh, coming up on, you know, coming up on the, the Phillies and the Phillies are in Chicago playing the Cubs. And, you know, the Cubs <laughs> would much rather see the Brewers out of the playoffs um, than than in. So, you know, I'm sure Cubs fans are kind of half cheering for the Cubs this week. Uh, hoping that the the Phillies can win and kind of step into that that playoff spot, so the Brewers don't take it. But uh, I mean, that's the one I think that because the Brewers can play spoiler with Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, you know, an offense led by Yelich and and some of those other guys that you know Willie Adamas, who's had a, an incredible season. You know, Rowdy Telez, another one who's had a good season. I. The, Brewer, the Brewers can be sneaky. They, they really went off the rails when they traded Josh Hader at the deadline. And, um, you know, they might be getting it back here just in time to maybe make the playoffs. So uh, it's that in a wild card race that I've got my eye on. Yeah, see, I got my eye on that National League East. I mean, you got the, the Mets and the Braves. The Mets are playing Miami for two right now. And then they end the season with Washington for three. The Braves are playing Washington right now for three. And then they end the season in Miami with three. But in the middle of that, they have a three game series between the Mets and the Braves in Atlanta this weekend. Oh, so that's, that's going to be the must watch the must watch baseball in this weekend. It's, it's going to be, it's going to come down to that series because they're both playing easy teams for them at least over the next you know series outside of that and it's a one game separating there and i'm not sure that game will probably or that series will also probably decide the tiebreaker between the two yeah because if the braves were to win two they end the season they end the series tied you know so it's it's gonna be really interesting this weekend of baseball especially national league east baseball it's gonna be something and i'm not sure if let me see if i can tell the record against each other no just right now okay so they haven't announced any pitching matchups yet yeah i I wanted to see what that was going to look like but it looks like taiwan walker is starting tomorrow for the mets and carrasco's today so scherzer and degrom are lined up to pitch in that series and probably (laughs) bassett and probably bassett if i have to assume i think that's a yeah that would be the three and so Peterson this week, then he it's Peterson's their other one. Oda Rizzi's so. pitching tomorrow there. And for the Braves pitching today is Moeller and elder pitched yesterday. So freed and Wright are also lined up for this lined weekend. up. Wow. Um, that's a Strider series. I mean, that's outright a playoff series. Yeah, they are. They are missing Spencer Strider. He did have to go on the IL with a, I think it's an oblique strain. I want to say, they hope he's back in the postseason time, but yeah, I mean, if you're having Kyle Wright and I would maybe even Charlie Morton, it might be Morton. It's probably Wright, Morton, and Freed against Man. Bassett, 
DeGrom and Scherzer. Like that's some that's some postseason baseball right there. That, that absolutely is. is. The atmosphere baseball. in Atlanta is going to be going to be out of this world too. I mean, they those the fans in Atlanta get up for big games, and that is a a huge game. And it's funny we're 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 praising the Braves. Matt's not here tonight, but yeah. you know of of course we're you know giving the Braves a lot of love because they they deserve it this season, man. This team has been very very good. Um, and that's two teams, you know, they're, they're near in a hundred wins. They'll probably both get a hundred wins. And one of those teams isn't going to win the division. So yeah, yeah. just out outstanding. One of those teams are going to be in the wild card and the other team and the other team's going to have a first round bye. Yeah. That, and that's why, that's why this is such a big series for the whole group is, you know, they, that first round bye could be crucial in lining up your rotation. I mean, just imagine if the Mets have to throw Degrom and Scherzer in the wild card. Yep. Then, then your your NLCS matchup looks like Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, David Peterson, or you know, and it's not nearly as as foreboding as getting the Degrom Scherzer matchup there in that in that NLCS or in the NLDS rather. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's going to be a massive, massive series. Um, that it, it's going to be some exciting baseball to watch this, uh, this weekend for sure. But, you know, before we wrap up, let's transition over to our players of the week and, uh, we'll start on the hitter side. So who do you got for your hitter this week? I got my, uh, my fantasy center fielder, uh, Brian Reynolds from the pirates. I, I, I honestly wonder how much y'all have mentioned Brian Reynolds's name <laughs> in, on the pod over, over the season, man. He has been, he's been good. This year, the Pirates have been bad, and he's been, uh, uh, you know, a subject of trade rumors, which is probably the most his name's going to get mentioned. Uh, but man, he has hit really well this past week: three homers, eight runs scored, six RBIs. He's got a five thirty one on base percentage. Um, you know, he's heated up in the in the perfect time, uh, right around the fantasy playoffs. But also, you know, when the Pirates need to start turning the corner, I think, and. Uh, it's, I'm going to be very intrigued by what the Pirates do this offseason because that's a team that does have a number of pieces in place to be able to make a, so a run at some free agents and try to make a run at the NL Central because, you know, with the aforementioned possibility that Nolan Arenado goes to free agency and Yadier Molina and Wainwright are retiring the Cardinals, this might be their last, you know, year on, on top of the NL Central, you know, in concrete fashion. And I think it'll be wide open up for the taking. We already have heard the Cubs are looking to sign people. Are the Pirates going to join them? Because I think they could. It's a team that's got a lot of pitching talent. The pitching hasn't necessarily cemented itself as as you know it's something that's really good. But Brian Reynolds has. He's he's won the starting job. He's he's really become a, a rock solid defender in center field. He's a great hitter. He's a great leadoff hitter. You know, he's the kind of guy who can really anchor your your lineup. He's proved that this week, and I think the Pirates should be going after free agents and trying to make a move. You know, trying to trade for Otani with the big cash of prospects they have, uh, calling up Henry Davis soon. You know, that that kind kind of thing to to really get going because they could very easily be next year's Orioles uh, with some some moves. Yeah, that's it's going to take a big philosophical change for the pirates to make a move like that. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking about a team that when they had McCutcheon and you had Marte and Polanco, when he was good and you had those other guys there, you know, a, a, a 
borderline playoff team, a team that was fighting for wild card, they wouldn't even go for it then. They wouldn't go out and make the moves that they needed to make at that point. It it would take a big time change for them to have to to be out there and do it. They absolutely have pieces in place. Like O'Neill Cruz has looked good at times. I mean, he's he struggled a little bit, but you expect that to happen. Brian Hayes not had a great year, but he's shown the flashes. Brian Reynolds really good you have henry davis down there that is going to be a really good catcher as well you have some other guys who have really surprised this year um you know it i it's they're in a really tricky spot because they're not quite ready to go for it but they're not quite let's stay in tank mode but you need to find those those you know value plays there that you can go sign to middle you know middle of the road free agent deals that are going to help set your team up for I, I really feel they're probably two years away from really being able to make that that bold move and put themselves into a contention contention spot um but brian reynolds i mean he's had a fantastic season he's he's been really good we haven't mentioned him much and that's just basically because the pirates haven't been good they haven't gave us much to talk about um but when you have weeks like this out and outside of the trade rumors, you deserve to be mentioned. I mean, he's the he's lead, he's tied for the lead in war, the offensive war, you know, per fan graphs this this week. Um, and he's just overall really, really good switching in center fielder that brings speed and power. I mean, what else can you ask for? Funny, funny story. Uh, his last year, his outs above average in center field was 10. This year, it's minus seven. So not maybe not as as good set defensively in center field this season, but uh I, you know, 26 home runs, he could easily corner outfield for you. Yeah, I yeah. just. I would be interested know. to see what the what the positioning factor has to be, too, because that's that's a big, big drop for something it's that we just haven't really seen much decline. That's just him in center field. And yeah, I, I wouldn't have expected that kind of decline just one year. But that, to be fair, is it's just what the numbers are. I don't I don't know that I have any. You know, I mean, it, it would be agenda with that <laughs> to see more. Um, but you know, for, for my hitter this week, I went with a rookie who we haven't talked about much either. I mean, he, he's not a super flashy rookie. He's not somebody who's going to jump off the stat sheet to you. He just has been really good. He does everything really well. And it's that Steven Kwan of the Cleveland guardians. I mean, this week he had a 429 average of 448 on base percentage, a 714 slugging, even for, for a guy like Steven Kwan, who's a contact based guy. It's really high, a 232 WRC plus, uh, two homers, eight runs, nine RBIs, four stolen bases this week. And I think even one of those homers was a, either a, a go-ahead or a game-tying grand slam in the ninth inning um, at home. I, I don't know who that was. It might have been against the White Sox. Um, but, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was not a super high-rated, I mean, really prospect. I mean, I guess he was top 60 um, coming into the year, but – you know, a 298 average, a 373 on base, and a 400 slugging with a 124 WRC plus this year. And here's something that you're, you're never really going to see in, in baseball nowadays a 10% walk rate with only a 9% strikeout rate. Yeah, Stephen Kwan has been, he was touted as having a 80 grade bat to ball skill, not necessarily like a contact tool, but like, you know, the, the eye. Actually, no, he did have an 80 grade hit tool. Um, yeah, he, he's the kind of guy who, who may, might be able to make this kind of profile work where you don't slug, you just smack the ball around. But he's also incredibly athletic. He's got 19 stolen bases. He's played good defense in the outfield. You know, th- this is an, a unique profile, and it's one that 
often doesn't work in today's game because you've got to hit for power. But when you're sporting a 373 on base percentage, you're stealing bases, you're playing defense, you're creating value in other ways besides hitting those home runs. That's what you have to do it. And, and Stephen Kwan's kind of exemplifying that. I think he's got two hits today. He might get up to 300 uh, by the end of the episode today. So um, He's at 300 right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just got there. So, you know, that that's just downright impressive. I, I You know, and that's kind of the kind of thing that an 80-grade hit tool is going to bring. I, there aren't many 80-grade hit tools anywhere. I think no. Wander Franco might have had one. But, you know, I haven't heard that in a while. And he's got four wins above replacement. I mean, he's been a very valuable player. I don't think he'll win AL Rookie of the Year, but he should certainly be in the conversation for it. I mean, this has been a, a really good season. Yeah, he really should be. And and one thing before we move on to is, you know, a guy like him, you'd probably see a, a really, really high batting average on balls in play. It's only 321. I mean, it's not really for a guy who's batting 300. That's not all that much higher than what you would think, you know, with his profile with a contact speed type guy. Those are usually pretty high. Um, so I, it makes me think that it's it's pretty sustainable with what he's doing. He's not been super lucky this year. Uh, maybe a little bit, but not a tremendous amount. Um, and he's only going to keep growing and, and you know filling into his game more, anyways. But, a guy, a guy with that kind of profile has to dodge soft contact and dodge like you know the infield fly outs. Yeah. Right now, his infield fly uh, rate is nine percent, which I think is pretty low. And then his soft contact rate is eighteen percent. He mostly hits in the medium percentage, you know. So I, you know, Stephen Kwan's got. If he can keep that up, I, you know, this is the kind of profile that could stick around. He's always been able to hit minor leagues all the way up. You know, I just I worry that he'll be able to he won't be able to sustain this. But it's worked for the Guardians this year. You know, he's been th- this week, this performance this week. One of the big reasons the Guardians won the the AL Central. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a Stephen Kwan fan for sure. I think he can do it. He's He's got the tools. Yeah. And he's sort of I mean, it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm way out there, but he reminds me of a young Michael Brantley. I mean, obviously Michael Brantley when he first came in didn't have the power, but he had just that that eye and that contact type approach. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Michael Brantley, and I mean from the Guardians as well. Right, I would have almost said maybe a uh, maybe a Dustin Pedroia kind of. Pedroia ended up getting into a lot more power as he went along and hit like fifteen twenty homers, but. He was the kind of guy who could just get the bat on the ball, steal the bases, play aggressively. Stephen Kwan, I think, does that for the Guardians at the top of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, that's what Brantley did, too. I mean, if you look at the, yeah. the numbers, it's pretty comparable, really, to what Kwan's doing right now. But anyways, let's go ahead and transition over to the pitching side. So who's your pitcher of the week? Uh, we mentioned him earlier. I'll, I'll take, I took Bryce Elder uh, of the Braves. You know, when the Braves are sitting here going, you know, Game for game with the New York Mets, he went and threw a complete game shutout uh, the other night against the Pirates, which is his second start of the week. Um, and his other start this week, he went, I think, six and two thirds, five, five maybe and five thirds. and two thirds, and, and only gave up a run or two. So it, it, Bryce Elder's had a couple of really good competitive starts in the last week um, to keep the Braves in the game. 
you know, he's not walking guys. He's he's more of a contact guy. He's not one of those flashy, you know, Spencer Strider level guys. But he's only 23 years old, man. And he's pitching in these huge games down the stretch that just means so much to this Braves team that 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 really wants to force the Mets into that playoff and and get you know Degrom and Scherzer out of the way in the wild card game. You know, for him to come up and do this as a rookie, um, just absolutely massive. You know, a complete game shutout in this time of the year when you're battling that that closely with such a, a heated rivalry. Uh, that's a huge performance. And and I think that's definitely worthy of a player of the week. Absolutely. It really is. Uh, and just looking at his log, one thing I found interesting, he's pitched nine games this year, but he started eight games. Six of those eight games have either come against the nationals or the Marlins. Yeah. Um, and it was the nationals that he, he did. I said the pirates, my bad. He did nationals both starts actually. Well, this week, yeah. actually, his last four starts, there was two against Miami and then he went two against Washington. So it's so, been, yeah, his first start against Marlins, seven innings, 10 strikeouts, one run there. I mean, over his last four starts, he's given up two runs all in total. Um, you know, that, that first start was five and two thirds, six strikeouts, almost an identical stat line across the board of what his shutout was. Um, just gave up a couple more hits in that shutout and the one run um, and one less walk there. But and, you know, for, for Bryce Elder, for a team like the Braves who, you know, we mentioned losing Spencer Strider um, and, it, and Charlie Morton's looks, you know, like he's come down to earth a little bit at times this year. And then other times he's looked really good. We've seen them already demote Ian Anderson, you know, for a team who's had some question marks on the pitching side, if you're able to get a good performance from the, uh, you know, from a rookie pitcher for your team and big starts coming into the end of the year here. You know, that's that's really big for for the Braves and, you know, Elder might be making a push for a potential postseason spot, you know, rotation yep. or uh, uh, just on that pitching staff. Maybe even if it's out of the bullpen type deal, uh, but it, he's been making a, a big push for that. Worth noting that his one relief appearance, he gave up three runs in two innings. So yeah. <laughs> that was not his better performance, but I just it's so big, I think, to, to have a 23 year old in these games. And, you know, someone might argue, oh, yeah, we're, you know, they, they're just using him against the Nationals and the Marlins. But the wins against the Nationals and the Marlins count as wins in the scorebook. They count the exact same amount as a win versus the Dodgers. So, it, you know, you got to have, you got to win all your games. And if Bryce Elder can get it done against the Nationals and the Marlins, what would we say, right? They, they have more games against those teams going yep. the rest of the way. So, he, he's going to get more chances to be impactful to, to this division race the rest of this week. He's going to need to keep performing. Absolutely. But transitioning over to my pitcher this week, I usually try and go with a guy with two starts as well. Um, but the, the start that Blake Snell had this week against the St. Louis Cardinals, seven innings, two hits, two walks, 13 strikeouts, uh, just been – you know, Blake Snell is always one of those people who is when he's on, he's electric and he's really, really fun to watch his fastball to his slider slash curveball, whatever you want to call it is absolutely disgusting. And, but then he has blow up games where he gets hit like, you know, a couple weeks ago against the Dodgers, four innings, seven hits, five earned runs, three walks. I mean, the command's always going to be something you have to watch out there, watch out for with him. Um, but as of the second half of the year, he's really good. And if you look at the season numbers, I mean, it's it's 117 innings, you know, the 362 ERA. But if you look at the the FIP, a 277 FIP, a 315 XFIP, like he's really found it the second half of the year, which is going to be massive for that Padres staff. Um, you know, 
moving forward, they're going to have some question marks with you Darvish. Is he going to, you know, how long is you Darvish going to be able to keep it up? Is age going to catch up to him? Throws a lot of pitches. You just never know. He also battles command at times. Clevenger. I don't know if I think next year he's a free agent or it could be this year. Yeah, he's a free agent this year. Um, but you know, you're going to have the question marks there. You've locked up, uh, you know, you've locked up Joe Musgrove now. Um, mm-hmm. But over the past year or so, I mean, there's even been more trade rumors with Blake Snell. Was he going to be a guy to get traded? Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see. But, you know, Blake Snell having that one start against the the Cardinals this week, which was absolutely electric. He's one of the most fun pitchers to watch at those times. I think he deserved uh, to be named as a pitcher of the week. Yeah. And, you know, I did mention, you know, all Bryce Elder starts were against the Nationals, the Marlins. I mean, Blake Snell's was against the playoff team. In the Cardinals, you know, that's the NL Central winner. So, you know, for everything that might someone might have tried to take away from from Bryce Elder's week, you have to give to Blake Snell, right? I mean, he did that performance of seven, you know, seven innings, 13 strikeouts. The the stat that caught my eye, I was looking for his average fastball velocity this year. It's uh, it's almost 96. He was averaging 98 in that game. He, he pumped it up for, for a playoff atmosphere and it for seven innings generating, you know, that many strikeouts. That is fearsome if the Padres can indeed, you know, pull it off and get to the playoffs because they are in that NL center, the, the NL wildcard race. But if they make it to the playoffs, they're going to have a chance to win behind the front three there of Musgrove, Darvish, Blake Snell. The way Blake Snell's pitching right now, you know, from the left side, that kind of velocity is pretty unprecedented in today's game. And uh, if he can, you know, keep the command together, which is when he, when he breaks command, that's when he starts giving up those, those deep fly balls, which, which lead to the home runs and kind of lead to the blowups. You know, if, if Snell can keep the ball in the yard, that makes the Padres a real difficult out in the playoffs. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into our playoff, you know, predictions and stuff. And, and, and as we get into the, you know, the playoff, you know, time of the year, but, you know, he's the kind of guy who's playing for a job. You know, he's playing to not get traded. He's playing to kind of have an anchor in the San Diego rotation. I, I can't help but wonder, you know, if, if he's pitching with a little bit of a vendetta too, because I think a lot of people kind of give up on him after kind of a mediocre year last year and a mediocre start to the season this year. But his last couple of starts this year have been absolutely fantastic and exactly what San Diego's been looking for since they traded for him. Yeah, and, and I know it's not going to do – people much good because of when this episode's coming out but as as we're getting ready to record this or as we are recording this blake snell starts against the dodgers tonight in san diego yep. so it's going to be a big start for him because he's he's been really hit or miss against them he either dominates or he gets lit up this is going to be a statement game for blake snell tonight trying to make that last that last little push he did it against the cardinals can he do it against a team like the dodgers who are one of the most patient teams they will wait they are not afraid to hit with two strikes and they have shown the ability to hit blake snow very well so it's going to be very well yeah it could very well be a playoff um precursor you know matchup that the dodgers see later so yeah could very well be but um you know that'll wrap it up for players of the week uh, and anything else you want to you want to wrap up on the show before we head out? No, but I want to get back to the Arenado thing. Uh, I, I want to. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to debate that one. Well, That'll be a good we'll, one we'll, once we yeah, get into we'll, the off season. 
we'll talk about it going into the off season, but you're still wrong. Uh, but <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batfoot Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. Mm-hmm.